Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Political Party. This episode features the Mayor of Manchester, Andy Burnham, and what a time to have Andy on the show. It's one of those things where it worked out, it's really worked out. He's meant to do the show before COVID happened, but I couldn't have picked a better time to be talking to him. Slap bang in the middle of Labour Party conference week. And of course, now that he's Mayor of Manchester, we get to talk about those incredible showdowns with the UK and the Scottish Government, and he gives us brilliant detail on this stuff. And this episode is everything you would want everything this show is meant to be this brilliant behind the scenes stuff proper heartfelt thoughtful politics someone setting out what they actually think and some emotional stuff and on top of that some really really funny moments uh and he's really funny <laughs> i mean there's so many bits in this that are amazing i won't ruin it too much but um a kind of few impressions get dropped in by Andy, and uh, they are they are a joy to behold. But some really really great moments, and we talk about in detail, which is really fun. The moment he became an internet meme, that that moment where he sees that the government have changed their offer, it's so funny. Um, but it was great, and it's so great to have the show back live. I, I love recording them over Zoom, but it is completely different doing it live and doing it at a theatre in the West End. Oh man. It was such a treat. So thank you to all of you who came. It was a really special atmosphere. And it's a beautiful place to do this show, uh, the Duchess Theatre. In a fortnight, well, less than a fortnight now, a week on Monday, my guest will be Penny Morden. And Penny is amazing. She was the first ever female Secretary of State for Defence. You may remember her from the reality TV show Splash, but she is very funny. That will be a raucous night. She got in trouble uh, a couple of years ago for saying the word cock six times during a Commons debate for a bet. So I think you know what sort of night you're in for. You can get tickets for that at mattford.com slash live. And for all future shows, two weeks after that, Caroline Flint, then Anas Sawa, then Anthony Scaramucci, then Jeremy Hunt, then the Christmas special. So there were some massive shows at a beautiful venue. And it was obviously... From a selfish point of view, it's great to be back doing live shows again and to have such a wonderful crowd in such a beautiful place. But all those little moments that make you realise some form of normal life is now back and stepping out of the theatre into the West End and seeing other people coming out of other shows, you just thought, oh man, we've we've made some progress at least in, in just opening things up again and it felt very, very special. So thank you to all of you who came. Thank you to those of you who bought your tickets for the future shows. You can get tickets for all of those at mattford.com slash live. Without further ado, what a treat of an episode this is. Uh, and of course starts, as all the live shows do, with some stand-up, which I've missed doing. So a, a real treat to be back on stage doing topical stand-up about the Labour Party conference. What more do I want from life? Enjoy the show. Good evening. Hello. Oh, wonderful. Thank you 
so much for coming. Welcome to the political party, everyone. This is wonderful. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Boris Johnson this week has been uh, campaigning on the environment. You might have seen him at the UN sitting up. Uh, in the words of uh, Kermit, uh, Kermit the, Kermit the, oh, uh, he always behaves as if he's in a sketch trio and the other two people haven't turned up. <laughs> I want to cap it all with the invite, yes. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, yes, uh, uh, it's very poor, uh, in the words of, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Kermit, Kermit the Frog, uh, it's not easy, uh, yeah, uh, being green. Uh, I think, fucking incredible to quote Kermit the Frog at the UN. What's he gonna do for an encore, in the words of Bella Lasagna from Ponty Pandy. <laughs> oh, Fireman Sam! <laughs> Fuck knows why she'd be calling Fireman Sam to the guy. <laughs> Felt funny when I wrote it. That's, uh... I mean, if he was Kermit the Frog, he definitely fucked Miss Peggy, wouldn't he? <laughs> oh, Miss Piggy, I go. Well, there's a persistence that I sort of respect in uh, hunting down a potential meat. Uh... <laughs> convincing eco-warrior. No, no, I am. I'm bloody, you know, I am passionate about saving the, uh, you know, the uh, ice caps, that's what it is. And the, uh, no, no, I, 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 the, 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 the melting, uh, yes, the population, uh, moving all right. Uh, and the, 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 the seal pups. I, I worry about that. I do, I, I worry about this. I, I do, right. Uh, but he's, uh, he's, of course, got us out of Afghanistan, uh, along with Joe Biden. Do you think that's a good idea? <laughs> a sort of drone-like low rumble. It's uh, triggering for any sex service personnel in here. It's, uh, the reason we've left when we did, by the way, is so that we'd be out of there on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, I mean, this is geopolitics. It's not a fucking moon pig card. <laughs> I think the Taliban are going to be impressed we remembered their anniversary. Oh, guys, you shouldn't have. Oh, he got a little card. Look, he's made it look like we're on the front of the paper, but uh, we're on the front of the paper all the time, so it's not quite the same for us, but cheers, mate. Dominic Raab, no longer Foreign Secretary. Hooray! That's good news, isn't it? Dominic Raab's one of those people who... You know those people who uh, talk too quietly on purpose? Dominic Raab, Foreign Secretary, I think it's very important that we did leave Afghanistan when we did. Now, people who do that are trying to stay calm. Because if he doesn't talk like that, he'll scream his head off. And they don't realise, just talk at a normal volume, mate. You don't have to go too quiet. No, 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 I'm fine. Well, I'm not angry, you're the one shouting. No, 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 I'm perfectly calm. I haven't lost my temper. Well, you're the one being rude, you're the one shouting. He freaks me out, that but it's all done with the intensity of a cokehead. So, uh, Wired, but talking very quietly. <laughs> Such a strange man. Uh, Matt Hancock, since you last met Matt Hancock, he's no longer Secretary of State for Health. He's had his phone seized. Have you heard about this? His, his messages are going to be checked because of the public inquiry into uh, the uh, procurement of, of COVID contracts. I mean, imagine him handing that phone over. <laughs> Definitely just emails, yeah, no Snapchat or anything right there. <laughs> Don't look at the photos, mate. Don't take the piss. The only phone that was removed by someone wearing a hazmat suit. In an evidence bag. I mean, it'd be impossible with this sex life to know what messages are private and which ones are about procurement. Yeah, make sure you uh, get plenty of protection in for the weekend, yeah? 
Don't worry, we'll do a test in the morning. <laughs> he told us to get 100,000 tests in. The guy's a fucking Trojan. <laughs> Keir Starmer has written out a pamphlet. Has anyone read The Road Ahead by Keir Starmer? Yeah. Good for you. Excellent. Did you like it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, less, less enthusiastic. You read it? Yes. Did you like it? Mm. Of course, I'm hoping to do the audio book, but uh, we'll see if, uh, <laughs> see if the demand's there. <laughs> on either account, I think, but um, the thing that runs through it is hard-working families. Always talk about this, hard-working families, very important, very important. Hard-working families are the heart of everything we do, the values, I mean, it's just Ed Miliband decided for the... <laughs> hard-working families, very important, very important hard-working families. Like, Labour have been talking about hard-working families. When I worked for the Labour Party, our slogan was working hard for hard-working families, which is like, sort of circular thing of working hard for hard-working people who are working hard for you and we're working... It was like sort of receptionists. Hello, Labour Party, working hard for hard-working families. <laughs> Which obviously is better than what followed it. Hello, Labour Party, the Jews were behind 9-11. So it has kind of... <laughs> There's been some progress. <laughs> should, be, should be pleased about that. It's always hard-working families, though. I always find it very exclusive. What about single people who work hard? What about families who don't? <laughs> families. Not just hard work. That's what I was seeing in speech this week. Not just hard working families. Party for everyone. Not just hard working families. Families who work hard some days of the week. Then pull a sick in. <laughs> yeah, we're on your side. Your values are our values. Guys who uh, take every Friday off, sit at home picking their nose and whack it all day. We're on your side. <laughs> yeah, that's how you get those non-voters out, mate. That's how you do it. He's <laughs> been attacked from left and right, uh, Keir Starmer. In the pamphlet, I mean, a lot of it is just standard Labour language, and it's a really good read, but some of it is, you know, standard stuff. He said, we want people who work hard and play by the rules to get the fair awards. Now, that's fine. It's a phrase that a lot of politicians have used, but a number of the hard left have said that actually it is the language of the far right. Work hard, play by the rules, and get your rewards. To me, I mean, I never realised the far right um, were that dull. Who can forget? I'm Volk! I'm Reich! I'm stakeholder economy to level up our society. Uh, once you realise that, it's classic far-right tribes and he should be ashamed of himself. He's changed the rules on the Labour Party leadership. He's been very polite with a lot of people in the Labour Party. I would like to see him go a bit further. Very important we change the rules. Very important. Or face out to the country. Very important we face out to the country. Change these rules. I would like to see him just admit why he's had to change the rules. We changed the Labour Party rules. And I know for some people in the hall today, it won't be popular. But it's very important, we face out to the country and we are never, ever, ever led again by a nutter. <laughs> the only reason I've done it, the only reason I've done it, if it hadn't led to a nutter, I wouldn't have changed it. I mean, some of the people I have to deal with, have you seen them? I mean, fuck it, hell. <laughs> Hats covered in badges going on anti-vax rally, living rooms papered with a Palestinian flag, the fucking nuts, mate. Of course it had to change. Very important. Very important. Very important that we had to change. Get these. Angela Rayner! My God, Angela Rayner. Sorry, you're homophobic, you're racist scum. Vile scum. I mean, uh, can't wait for the TV debates. <laughs> yeah, we are going to, we're going to level up. We are, we're going to finally level up. All right, yeah, well, you're a fat bastard and your breath stinks. <laughs> Maybe that is the best way to campaign against him. But she said, uh, people shouldn't judge me for that. I'm working class, that's how we talk all the time. Oh yeah, when I grew up, it's all you heard. <laughs> Morning, you fucking scumbag. How do you, dirty bitch? All right. 
Yeah, see you later now. Cheers. <laughs> stupid. The idea that thought like that. Obsessed as well with backstory in the Labour Party. Angela Rayner, say what you like, she's got a cracking backstory. And she's got a great backstory. Oh, her backstory. Like, can we just judge politicians on how good they are first? They're talented, that's the main thing. Backstory's a bonus. The Labour Party's in danger of reverse engineering this. This lad, this Labour MP, left school at five, right? He had his first kid at nine, running a crackdown at 11, General Secretary of United at 13. <laughs> What's he like politically? Can we, can we talk about, she's fantastic mate. Oh, her backstory. Deserted, right, on a desert island. Whittled a raft out of a pineapple tree. Took her three years to figure out every seventh wave would get her to America. She got there, learned Spanish and English, came over here and became a Labour MP. What's she like politically? Fucked in the head, mate. She thinks the, fr thinks the French were behind 9-11. She thinks Badgers invented cling film. She's stupid. But what a backstory. Richard Bergen is, uh, is at the Labour Party conference. At a, at a rival event called the World Transformed. Um, ironic, run by a lot of people who will never change the world, but uh, Richard Bergen at a, a Labour Party fringe event, he said, people, people, don't want, people don't want pints and fish and chips, they want transformative politics. Hmm. <laughs> no, I pick. Hang on, wasn't Free Pikes Fish and Chips the last Labour manifesto? That's a clear break with Corbynism. Look, pints are more popular than the NHS. In fact, they're the leading cause of the pressures on it, Pikes Fish and Chips. That's our national re religion, don't attack that. What sort of... Why is it a choice? You could have both. Well, if you want transformative politics, you've got to give up the drinking, mate. Why? Why is this sort of false choice being... What a joyless bastard! That's part of the problem with it. It's all quite sort of po-faced. It's quite sort of against just the things that people like. My wife, for our, for our wedding anniversary, she doesn't want champagne. She wants a state-backed green bank issuing bonds to fund the Workers' Collective. <laughs> yeah, but you have a lot of fun. Crikey. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's such a treat to be back. I mean, uh, one of the things I have to address as an individual is that uh, I think I do quite miss Donald Trump. <laughs> Not in policy terms, just in comedy terms. And I think the thing I miss about him most was he was funniest. Not when he was being nasty, um, but when he was being nice. Because he was really bad at it. And Biden is kind of fine. I mean, I disagree with him on Afghanistan, but he's kind of a bit mature on everything else. It's kind of ruined the news as a sitcom, really. <laughs> Killed it. Because what Trump was, was, was a really good example of one of those politicians who said the good politicians do the stuff tries to copy it but doesn't have the detail. A really good politician will do those things, like Tony Blair, the benchmark. Um, <laughs> when they would go abroad, really good at doing that sort of, you know, the world leader where they pay tribute to a place, really good. Yeah, it's great to be back in France, which is a you know, fantastic country. And I was saying this to Emmanuel earlier, that the French national identity actually is something that is not only attractive to those in France, or, or indeed Europe, but to the wider world. It's something that many people identify with. But at no cost, by the way, to the diversity of France. You know, you go to places like Marseille or, or, or Paris, you know, they're fundamentally different places, but they're still bound by that sense of, of patriotism. I, I think it's something that is pretty admirable, actually, yeah. <laughs> Standard stuff that we all remember, but... Um, <laughs> Trump would sort of see that, but didn't have the detail. Never had the detail, so he'd just sort of be stuck trying to be nice, but couldn't do it properly. And it's great to be, great to be in France, by the way. Many, many good people. 
who do. They have great people in France, and they have, I know a lot of them work very hard. They're very good working people, some of them. Some of them are bad. We don't want to talk about them today. They, they can ruin things for bad people, but France is one of those, said to the moon you well earlier, that they have many great, they have cities here, by the way, and I do know that. They have the mountains, I think they do. Yeah, they, yeah. Not everywhere, by the way, you don't see many in Paris, but they, they have them some places. And that weird little, um, that weird face he would do. I only noticed it right towards the end, but he would pull this little face, and I don't look quite sure what it meant, but it was, it was this, he'd go like this. I do know French, by the way, I know a lot of stuff. I, I know that Paris is here. What did that facial tick mean? It was kind of, hmm, you didn't think I knew that, did you? <laughs> Pretty impressed, right? So, ladies and gentlemen, tonight's guest is someone I've wanted to interview for a very long time. It's a bit of a catchphrase if you're a newcomer. Um, but it's also true. Um, now, I did have um, tonight's guest booked before to do the old venue, and then COVID happened, so it's brilliant that the first show he's ever been able to do is here at this wonderful new venue. He is, of course, uh, one of the brightest stars in the British political galaxy, a man who served in the governments of Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, and is now, incredibly, the Scouse Mayor of Manchester. <laughs> Please give a huge welcome to Andy Burnham! Andy. You're, not, you're not meant to mention the Scouse thing. <laughs> Why am I not meant to mention it? No, you are, you, you are but I, you know, I don't go around uh, always talking about it, you know, I've kind of playing it down. But... Okay, have I, have, I, have I crossed the line? <laughs> no, not, not at all. Would you ever, if you went to Derby, would you get elected as a Forest fan? Um, I don't think I'd get elected wherever I stood. <laughs> I a, we won't go into that. <laughs> I think it's a deeper problem that I'm repellent to the British public. Um, I think it shows, though, don't you think, how open-minded the people of Manchester are that they'd elect an Evertonian? Yeah, that they, they voted for a Labour guy. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been hard. <laughs> but did you get... Did you get any, like, what's the Scouts are doing standing around? Yeah, so if I sometimes, you know, if I put a tweet out on anything, there'll be about five Scouts gits come just in the comments, you know, that'll be like in the first ten replies. So it's still a bit of an issue, that's why I, I just said about that play. But let's be honest, I, in Manchester, clearly I support the acceptable face of Merseyside football. And mm. I think that is generally, generally understood. And we're all in favour of Liverpool losing every single game they play, so there's a bit of common ground. <laughs> See, this is how you unite the North and the South. This is how you do it. Just don't slag off Man United, especially not in City like I know, I, oh God, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> could do it at home, but not here. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so Andy, you've, you've come up tonight from Brighton, from the Labour Party Conference. How was it down there? Uh, it's building. <laughs> uh, Back better? It's, uh, obviously there's been a few issues running into the, the conference, but you know, you know, because you've been at conferences of old. It's always a bit rocky, isn't it, in the first few days, and then it kind of finds its level, and then the leader's speech will set it all, all up, and that'll be, that'll, that's what will happen. And, um, <laughs> I just, I, what are you laughing at? <laughs> it perhaps wasn't the words, but the delivery. <laughs> Um, so, uh, it turns out Andy McDonald has just resigned from the Shadow Cabinet, I just found out. Who? 
thanks for coming, Keir. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did you know he'd resigned? Uh, only on the train on, on the way up, so no. I mean, I'm a bit out of all of that. You know, I'm clearly not in, in the shadow cabinet. And uh, kind of more of a, let's say, a slightly independent sort of position. That, you know, I'm obviously Labour, support care, want them to do well. I think he will do well on Wednesday, actually. I'm serious about that. But I'm not in that kind of midst of all of that sort of intrigue. And so, I, you, know, I, you know, I don't know the full backstory. All of and, and, I mean, I think I know the answer, but is he a big loss? I, yes. <laughs> I like, he's a friend of mine, thank you very oh, much. Oh shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, a, he's, he's a really decent, uh, he's a good person, Andy. He did great work, actually, as Shadow Transport Secretary, let's just be honest, he did. And, um, I mean, you found out on the train. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> it was moving at the same time. <laughs> So you've been down there, because I saw you on the BBC today saying that um, Labour needs to set out its stall more. Yeah. But some people might say, well, look, two or three years before a general election, you don't want to get caught. I glasses a little bit. Is this like what you do with Northerners when they come to London? You make us drink out of the bottle. To, uh, to... <laughs> but anyway, sorry, I... <laughs> no, well, sorry, I'm interrupting you. Has, has anyone got a glass for, <laughs> for the mayor? The mayor wants try a and glass. Make us, try and make us look like Liam Gallagher. <laughs> I mean, because you sometimes dress like Liam Gallagher, you've got the Parker and stuff going on. I, I, I was at Manchester back in the day, absolutely, yeah. That was all my era. Even though born in Liverpool, I, was, I grew up more on the Manchester side. So that uh, was my... I was 19 when the Stone Roses album, first album came out. So, yeah, I was there. And did you, did you go to... Did you ever see Oasis live? No, I was a bit before them, to be honest. I was like getting... That, they were a bit beyond my era. So I saw the Smiths on the Queen is Dead tour at Salford University. I saw the Stone Roses at Empress Ballroom in Blackpool, which was an absolutely massive gig. Uh, ah, yeah, I was at all the, all the big things, yeah. Uh, Labour Conference, 99. <laughs> <laughs> that happened in the Empress Ballroom, by the way. In, in, well, yeah, and that was a bit odd, having watched uh, the Stone Roses there a few years before. But yeah, no, I, yeah, I was in the midst of all of that. And how did the demographic differ? Were there sort of... Did, you know, obviously, Stone Roses people off their mind on ecstasy. It was a little... Uh, were they more coherent than your Labour colleagues? <laughs> I remember that was the one. When there was a big fight going on with Barbara Castle, if I remember rightly. Do you but remember the Stone that? Roses? No, no. <laughs> it was a big... Pension. I can't remember. I, I was going, it was Barbara Castle's last big stand at a Labour conference. It was in the Empress Ballroom, and I was having all these mixed emotions you might imagine of, uh, yeah, from my teenage years. Basically, come down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> big one. <laughs> so you were saying that Labour needs to set its stall out, and what I was going to say was, other people might say, well, two or three years out from an election, you don't want to get caught with commitments that you know the world changes fast as COVID proves. Aren't Labour? Perhaps more correct to keep the cards a bit close to the chest. No, that would have been the old rule. You know, when you and I were kind of more in that, you know, working in the in the back room, everyone would have said that. Yeah. That would have been the iron law of of opposition politics at that time. I honestly think the world has changed with the social media area because there's instant reactions to things, isn't there? And now, if an opposition does what it's meant to do, which is oppose, and you say, look, this is wrong. So let's take Boris's social care policy, hitting you know low paid workers, young people, you know, it can't be right to ask them to pay for protecting the, the care costs of some very wealthy old people. It just can't be right. So rightly, Labour make a big criticism of that as being unfair, 
But instantly I notice these days, just go, okay, so what would you do? What would you do? And that comes back almost straight away at politicians now. And I don't think people will hear the criticism if you can't say what you would do. And I just think that's become more and more true over my time in, in politics. And, and I understand it. That's how the world is now, isn't it? The world moves quickly, doesn't it? And you only get the right to be heard with your criticism if you say, and as an alternative, I would do this. And I just think that is really true. And Labour has, I'm not just talking about currently, I'm talking about when I was in Ed Miliband's shadow cabinet, it was too cautious all the time. You know, it was frozen a bit. Oh, we can't say that because of what the Daily Mail will say about spending and God knows. And actually, you've got to break out of that. Not promise everything on every issue, but on big, substantial issues, uh, set out your stall. And on that one, I'm still hoping I might hear this this week from, uh, from, from Kia. I just think the Labour Party should say social care on NHS terms. That is a 21st century policy. No one loses everything. Uh, we, we've got social care that's like American healthcare, isn't it? You're vulnerable, you lose thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds. Social care on NHS terms, I think, would be a fantastic Labour policy to take out of this conference, and I'm still hoping that might be announced. And uh, have you lobbied Keir for that policy? Uh, yes, I, yeah, I've gone public. And as I say, I mean, I'm supporting him. Yeah. And so don't take it any, any other way. And I think it's been tough becoming leader of the opposition in, in the middle of a pandemic. And this is his chance now, I think, to set out you know, a, an alternative. Um, and I, yeah, I was very clear. When I, I go back to when I was health secretary. I called for a, uh, a national care service, and I stand by it. I think that's the right answer. You know, draining your mum and dad's bank account when they need, what's that about? You know, and taking over all of their affairs. It's just horrible, isn't it? You know, kind of sp spending all of what Well, it depends how they treated you, I guess. Well, yeah, okay. Get the buggers back. Some people might, like, might, might enjoy that. I don't know. But... Um, it, yeah, I mean, and often for care that just isn't good enough for your mum and dad, and all, it's all not good enough in any way, shape or form. So I proposed a 10% levy on, on all the states, because I think you've got to say to the older generation, you have to make a contribution. Everyone contributes, but then everyone's covered completely. Peace of mind, you don't have to pay any charges while you're alive, you can present 90% of what you've worked for. That is a, in my humble opinion, that is a policy, I think, that will speak to the country, and I think Labour's got to get better at just putting out things that are you know, can be understood without the nuances that sometimes they, they put on things. And uh, so do you think when you talk to Kieran, you say, this is what I'd like to hear, do you get the sense that he's receptive to that? Do, are you getting somewhere with that line? Well, I, this sounds very boastful, isn't it, when you're talking about a former director of uh, public prosecutions, but he was, he was in my, a junior ministry of my team when I was Shadow <laughs> Home Secretary, so, uh, yeah, it's all right, isn't it? That's a nice little, uh, little boast. Uh, to, but, oh, thank you so much. You notice, oh. northerners have manners, you see. I wasn't sipping out of the bottle, but thank you, thank you so much. Did you request a glass at a Stone Roses gig? <laughs> what, to throw at the stage? No, yeah, pissing it first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at that. You're very well trained as well, German, but you know, you know what? You know. Yeah, I was told you liked Belgian or German. I do. So I got some, yeah, I got you some... The cheap one that's three for five pound, I think. <laughs> it is. I added it to my Tesco shop. <laughs> I know what it is, don't worry. <laughs> Absolutely on the price. I mean, <laughs> it's good to meet a Labour politician who's on top of the figures. See, I can't be, uh, can't be tripped up on that, the cost of beer. Cost of milk, mm, <laughs> if you're there. Uh, so, so that dynamic then, does that play out with you and Keir? Are you still the sort of senior partner in that no, relationship? No. I mean, 
to be honest, to his great credit, he came in and we were a real good team actually in that era uh, and he didn't have any of the sort of, you know, oh, I'm this, that and the other. He didn't, he just was a great team member and, you know, we got on really well and uh, got to know him and um, we've been watching and supporting his, his development and his rise ever since and I think, you know, he is a, once people get to know him more, there is a genuine alternative here. He's thoughtful, he's decent, uh, principled, um, experienced, really experienced in you know, the public policy realm in a very difficult environment. So he's got all of those solid qualities behind him. And I think he just now needs to kind of have that cut through moment or two with the public. And then I think he'll be really in business. And uh, he's also, he's, a, he's photogenic. And so are you. I mean, I, I've got a sort of I like his Morrissey quiff. I'm going to try and... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Although... They're out of fashion a little bit in Manchester these days, I always say. What is in fashion these days? In Manchester, Johnny Marr. I saw him on Saturday night at the cricket ground, knocking out... Yes, he was in Old Trafford on Saturday night. Yeah, yeah I was at the Cortinas and Blossoms there, brilliant. But Johnny Marr was absolutely fantastic. Uh, he was definitely in fashion, because um, there was reports of whole trams that were going past the cricket ground singing There is a Light That Never Goes Out, which is fantastic, isn't it? because the floodlights were still on. Pardon? It's because the floodlights were still on. I think it's the energy, the energy crisis, I think. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> but what I was going to say is, you're photogenic, you're a good-looking guy, Keir Starmer's a good-looking guy. I, I, I saw this theory the other night, and actually Where I think are you going with this? Okay, <laughs> well, I think if you look at British general elections, the better-looking person wins. Hang on a minute, that's all right. So, Cameron? Cameron was better-looking than Gordon Brown and uh, Ed Miliband. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Blair, better looking than everyone. Theresa <laughs> um, May, better looking than Corbyn. John Major, better looking than Neil Kinnock. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Are you, you're kind of onto something, like that. Yeah. Not... Churchill lost, got who better did, looking, and won again. Who did Harold? <laughs> who did Harold Wilson, Wilson beat? Uh, he beat uh, Macmillan. Was he good looking? <laughs> no, Don't <I> you start. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Superman. Atlee, you what? Atley in Churchill. Yeah, Atley was good looking, became a minger, lost. <laughs> yeah, he's very badly in office. All his biographies will tell you that. I mean, yeah, I mean, the more it gets explored, the less the theory holds. But <laughs> Keir Starmer's better looking than Boris Johnson. Yeah. You're better looking than Keir Starmer? <laughs> <laughs> But I think you're waiting for me to answer that. Or, uh, well, <laughs> I guess it would make you uh, electable, would it? Do you think? You think we live in a, a, a sort of, like you say, social media age? You're photogenic. Uh, I, I, I don't know, but um, yeah, you've clearly thought about it a lot. So uh, I'll, I'll bow to your authority on this particular this particular subject. You stood for the leadership in. 2010 and 2015. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. But <laughs> <laughs> <Which> you forgot. <laughs> um, so in 2010, this, you're basically caught in the middle of Ed versus David. It wasn't quite like that because I knew that David was going to stand. Yeah. And I knew that Ed Balls was going to stand. Yeah. So there I am, you know, outsider. I knew it. You know, I knew that. I, you know, I thought, well, should I? Shouldn't I? Um, and. Obviously, David was Tony Blair continuation, and Ed Balls was Gordon Brown continuation. And I thought, well, clearly, 
there's room for neither and we need something a bit different. Yeah. And I worked on the sort of basically the, the Scouse principle. You know, like they are most that you wouldn't stand for the leadership of the late party against your brother. Um, you'd kind of sort that one out in the garden and with your mum sort of telling you something. Well, you're burying. And um, I just couldn't, so I got a shot when I'd kind of gone out too far when Ed Miliband said he was going to stand. And so kind of I was, I, I wouldn't, you know, if I hadn't reached out so far, I probably would have come back in because obviously he was that candidate. Definitely I spotted there was a through the middle opportunity. Yes. And, um, but I don't regret because actually it was quite, uh, that wasn't a bad leadership campaign. Well, 2015 might be a different kettle of fish, but I mean, that one was, uh, that one was good because I was like this slightly insurgent. Yeah. And I came up with my, uh, my phrase, aspirational socialism, which uh, will sweep the land one day. <laughs> what was your slogan in 2015? God, I can't remember. It was so bland. I don't know. It was <laughs> Be oh, yeah, I can't know. Yeah, it wasn't. It was, uh, it was it, I, I know in some ways now, I know how David would feel, you know, that, Pressure of the you know the foot, the front runner is is a nightmare actually in any any political race it's a nightmare it's a hard dynamic to deal with when, when you're out there and everyone's in your ear and yeah so I learned a lot during you know, during that that second leadership election so then I knew the moment I was going when I lost I'll tell you the yeah. story so I'd been a bit hemmed in by everybody you know you probably could see that and <laughs> tight up in my suit it was all a bit ah and anyway towards it was only towards the end that I started to sort of really. You know, cut through, and well, I thought I was. I was like, I'd kind of started to speak from the heart, mm. and you know, I, I was kind of coming to these rallies, and I was, you know, beginning to sort of, and I was getting all around the north, thinking, right, I've got to mobilise the north. I was at a church, it was actually in Sheffield, and it was two weeks to go to the end of the contest, absolutely packed out. Which I thought, well, this is a good sign. It literally, there was you couldn't get, you know, and everyone was getting really engaged in the contest at that point, and so I come through. Come up, the you know, invited to speak. So, I'm actually, the weird thing was on the altar of a church when I'm doing this speech, which was a bit, a bit strange. But anyway, I'm going for it. You know, I'll be a noise for the north. You know, we'll get rid of this London centric Labour Party. You know, really get it back where it, where it should be, and all this. And I was quite proud of it. Really, kind of gave a speech and you know, good rousing applause. And I thought, maybe, maybe I'm getting somewhere in this, this leadership election. So at the end, the chair said, okay, thanks, Andy. We're going to go to questions from the audience now. I've got, uh, got uh, Tony at the back there. Tony, this bloke goes, Andy, he says, I've listened to you for the last half an hour, and I agree with most of what you've said. But do you realise you've been speaking for all of that time under a sign that says, repent, JC is coming. <laughs> and I, I, kid you, I kid you not, I was like this. I was out on the stage, and I, and I was on the altar, and I went... <laughs> and I thought, oh my God. I think that's it now. <laughs> Even the big man's voting JC. I've like, had it. <laughs> well, he was king God of the Jews. God for Corbyn, and then I was dead, I think, at that point. <laughs> Oh man, I mean that must have been, because of what, I mean obviously that was one of those moments where you realised, but you probably were the favourite in 2015. Oh well, I was, yeah. yeah. At what, I mean obviously that's a well, moment, but. Yeah, the, we, the, the moment I lost was the, you know, because Steve Rotherham, who's my great friend, who's the uh, mayor of the Liverpool yeah. City region now, he was trying to do the organisation for me within Parliament, and Jeremy got on by one MP, yeah. and that was, a, five to 12 on the day that the nominations closed. And it was on that 
that moment's when I knew I'd lost, if I'm honest with you. Really? Yeah, because it's what I was saying about the, you know, the, the insurgent, you know, you, you, it, the dynamics of those leadership elections are pretty brutal, really. And it's just very hard to sustain yourself, you know, to be out there as a front runner and stay in that position. But that, yeah, my heart sank that day when Steve rang me with that news. And so do you support the, the rule changes that, that Keir Starmer's brought in then? Um, the I didn't rules. support, if I'm honest, what was being proposed last week where they were saying that MPs get a third of the of the votes in the final election. Because when I was standing in 2010, I used to make the point, hang on a minute, why is an MP? I was, I was getting more support than the party members at that time. And, you know, an MP's vote was worth 900 party members. And it's now, now worth, what, 2,000 party members. So, no, I, did, I don't mind MPs having a role in the nomination part of it, yeah. but I do think it should be true one member, one vote in the actual election. But they've got rid of those registered supporters. That all also did me in, in 2015. You know this thing with three pound and you can join. I mean, that was, just, that was a complete nonsense and that's gone, that's a good thing. Yeah, and that, they were changed that Ed Miliband brought in. I, was, um, I had Tories coming up to me all, all of that year saying, oh, I, I voted Corbyn, yeah, it was very, uh, yeah. <laughs> we knew he'd. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. well, great, okay. <laughs> See, that's the thing, he could get Tories to vote for him. Very <laughs> 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 <Maybe> good. <laughs> he had a wider appeal than we, than we, uh, than we thought. Um, so those Ed Miliband shadow cabinet years then, you were shadow yeah. home secretary under Ed Miliband, um, and you described earlier the, the kind of frustration that you felt, it, it, they were slightly timid, worried about the Daily Mail, I mean, yeah. it seems odd now for Ed Miliband to, to worry about that, he seems off the leash a bit, is that just because he's not leader anymore? Possibly, but I think you know, we all lived through that era and I think you know, Ed and I were of the same view on many things. And I'll be honest, often Ed Balls wasn't of the same view. There was very much that sort of old school, no, you've got to be completely disciplined. You know, and I, so I'm not saying we would have won if we'd been bolder then. I think, to be fair to him, we were straight out of government, first time in opposition. Ed Miliband, in my view, did a pretty good job, actually. Um, didn't get particularly fair treatment, I think, from parts of the media. But if think if you'd have been more the Ed we see now as leader than the Ed of then, I think that would be true. But we've all been on a... you know. Life is a bit of a you learn and don't you? And I, you know, I definitely look back at my early days in Parliament, and you know, I, you know, I was doing my bit and trying to get on, but you know, I, I, I didn't know half of what I know now. And I mean, for me, let everything change when I went to Anfield as Culture Secretary in yes. 2009. Everything changed because I knew, I was 19 on the day of Hillsborough. You know, it was that era I was talking about the Stone Roses, all that. Yeah. That was you know my kind of real formative years. I was at university at that time. All my school friends were at uh, Hillsborough. I was at Villa Park, which in Everton, Norwich. So that was very personal. And I knew, you know, well, three days later, after when people had died in most horrific circumstances, the media were blaming my friends, if you like, for, for what happened. So I went then as culture secretary to Anfield. Actually, the government had told me to turn down the invite because, you know, they had nothing to say or they didn't even want anything to be said. And I just went, I didn't, you know, tell anybody, I just accepted it. And I agonised about what I was, I, I knew I had to go in my heart, I had to go, but I didn't know what I was going to say because the, the government I was in had nothing to say to the people of Liverpool. And my younger brother, John, because we always kind of work these things out as a family, just said, and go if you're going to do something for them, but if not, don't go. And I kind of said, right. And I knew then I just had to go. And 
if you like, open up the issue. But that was when the kind of, you know, there was me walking to the front of the cop. It was almost like I, I was almost walking to the very abyss of the chasm between the government I was in and, and the people I'd grown up with. And it was that, it was that much. And I never was the same as a politician, if you like, after that. that I broke with the sort of climb up and do, you know, that, that changed my journey, if you like, in, in politics, really. And now, I mean, that, I don't know if people, I don't know if it comes over, but I'm kind of enjoying the job I'm in now because I just feel I can, I feel liberated and energised and I feel I can be myself for the first time, really, in my political career. Westminster makes a fraud out of people. And the reason it does that, I, you know, I, know, I heard someone laugh there, but it does, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I, I, know you'll, I know you'll say, <laughs> I know you'll be thinking, oh, tell us something we don't know, you know, and, uh, but I don't know if you kind of all realise that politicians can be as disillusioned with politics as, as all of you, mm. and the thing is, you know, in that system, people get demoralised because sometimes you're voting night after night for things you might, you might 80% agree with, 70%, 60, you know, because the whip is like that, you know, it kind of makes you vote. And then you go and do interviews and you have to say, this is the line. And you might. So in the end, it's not surprising, is it, that MPs don't fully kind of come over, if you like, uh, as kind of individuals with, you know, because the system almost hammers that out of people. And it's only since I've left, I would say, that I've really found, I think this is my perfect role, really. Um, I'm in a place... I know the people I love, you know, I, I kind of feel at home, I'm comfortable with what... And so when I speak on things, I know the territory, I know... you see what I mean? And I just yeah. think you, you can just do your job better in those circumstances. And Westminster often doesn't allow you to operate like that. Just on that Anfield thing, has anyone here seen the footage of that? Yeah. It is one, I think, very few politicians in their career ever have a moment where they really capture something and you did it. And even just thinking about it, I think it's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen from a politician. To go to Anfield, as you say, from a government that didn't want another inquiry or to reopen it at all. And I remember watching it live. And Anfield is just chanting at you, Justice for the 96. And so many politicians would have got that wrong, that have spoken over them. But you just sort of nod and take it. And then you... It's an incredible thing. You turn this stadium round. You, they sense that you're being honest with them. It's one of the most... You go on YouTube tonight and watch it. it uh, it's one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen a politician do. I, I think it's something you should be immensely proud of because the guts to... to football fans, and, and not over a football issue, over a, a huge injustice. And they've got, they're expressing themselves. And you're sort of there and you think, oh, my God. And then it just... It, the, the tone changes, the atmosphere changes, you win them round. I mean, that must have been daunting. It, it, on ev in every sense, it was. It was overwhelming, really. But as I say, I wasn't going in there as like a you know, rabbit in the headlights politician because I'd agonised about it. I honestly had agonised about it. Do I go? What can I go? What can I say? And I kind of knew, I, I, was, I can remember you know, going to the ground that day and I just was seeing thousands of people going. It was a, there was a sense of a massive occasion. And my brother, my younger brother again, John, was texting me, said, I, he said, I don't want to worry you, Anne, but we're in, I'm in the Anfield Road end because no one can get in anywhere else. The, the four sides of the ground for a memorial service. Yeah. So it was just this building sense that something was kind of happening. 
And I was like a bit of a coiled spring. I just knew something was going to happen, you know, that was going to be beyond my control. I just, I knew it, you know, I know Liverpool, I know the people, you know, I, you know and I know, and I, and I, you know, I, I've always said if I wasn't the minister, I'd have been shouting at the minister. So, you know what I mean? So I understood all of that. And almost when there was one, I remember the moment I was just going through the speech, and it was literally when I said, and today, Gordon Brown has asked me to, it was at that moment, I think, where this one solitary cry comes, we want justice. Yeah. And then it was like, like an avalanche, you know, like stones yes. off a, you know, like a rolling off. And I always say that my presence there took those voices from Anfield to the, every living room in the land that night because, you know, people had moved on, other people, but obviously Liverpool hadn't and it, it couldn't and it never would have done. So, it, well, yeah, it was, it was, you know, an extraordinary moment. And to his great credit, though, and I always say this, and it's really important I say this. I walked off the cop, and my first thought was, as a minister, because you do think this, Gordon's not been having a great time, and I've caused him a whole lot more of grief now, because, you know, it, all this will just... Don't, you know. But he's a forgiving kind of guy. Well, <laughs> do you know what? Yes, he is. And more than that, literally my phone was going the minute I walked off, and I thought, oh, my... You know, this was... I'm fairly bruised, by the way, and I'm... And he just said, oh, Andy, it's Gordon. You know, I can't believe it. <laughs> <So>, uh, <laughs> he used to speak like that. Is he ill? And I thought, oh. <laughs> yeah, like, Fox, every night. And, uh, <laughs> I was at the Stone Roses with Barbara Castle. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I just want you to know that's a brilliant thing you did. And I support you. And if there's anything you want me to do to help now, I will. And I'll never forget that phone. Ever, you know, any things that never, ever forget that. And I said, well, can I raise it at the cabinet tomorrow? Because you can't normally just raise things at cabinet. You, know, you have to, the agenda's normally one item or two. You know, you have to normally work quite hard to get something on the agenda of cabinet. Uh, and he said, yeah, raise it tomorrow. And I remember, you know, it was one of those times where we were so desperate to try and we would drum up support in the dying days of a government. We were going around the country. We actually were in Glasgow for one of those cabinet goes to Glasgow. Oh, days. God, yes. You know, you remember? Yeah, you know, man. It's like when you put you know, the names of your policy initiatives in, in the names of government departments, you know, like levelling the department <laughs> level. It's that level of desperation, you know, when, you go, when cabinet goes round the country. Um, the cabinet on tour. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Gordon Brown on ice. <laughs> but what happened was, I rate, you know, so it came to the thing, Gordon says, right, okay, Andy, you know, we had a difficult day yesterday, but you asked, could you brief the cabinet on, on it? And uh, it, the floor's yours. And I just remember saying to him, look, I said, it's not just I had a tough day yesterday. I was there because I know that they are right and we are wrong. There is a massive injustice here. There is a huge cover-up. You know, blame was shifted. I knew that at the time, what I knew. It was shifted onto the... And I said, and all I'm asking for is let's start with disclosure. Commit to a full disclosure process of all Hillsborough papers. And Gordon opens up the cabinet discussion. And I honestly can't tell you, I, I was... You know, I saw you get a little emotional then, man. I, I, I struggled to talk about it, if I'm honest with you. And I, I mean, kind of <laughs> finding this a little difficult. Um, it was like, you know, because for me, I just felt the weight of everybody I was there with at Anfield on my shoulders. I mean, every, I just thought, God, what have I done? You know, have I raised expectations here that can I, would I be able to fulfil them? And so that cabinet discussion starts. And can you imagine that? that Voices start coming in, mainly supported, but not all. You know, it was just, I was like sitting there hearing it, thinking, 
Oh my God. You know, I, and I just didn't know how the conversation would go. Oh, we, some, well, I'm not gonna name them, but you know, this will set a precedent. It will mean that everything, you know, can't do it. No, I have to. And I was just sitting there absolutely just, ter you know, just terrified about how it was kind of playing out. And uh, yeah, this kind of conversation goes on for, you know, about 40, 45 minutes. And I'll never forget this. Gordon just said, okay, we've heard you know, a lot of views here. There are different views in the room, but we're going to back Andy on this. I mean, I'll never forget, you know, that was for me just a, an incredible moment. And it led in the end to justice. It did. I mean, it led to, in the end, without, without going through all the details, unlawful killing. You know, the accidental death became unlawful, unlawful killing. And the difficulty has been the getting the accountability, you know, that's proved, well, it shouldn't have done in my view. And the, I could talk for hours on the, if, if anything needs leveling up in this country, it's the scales of justice because they are absolutely weighted against ordinary people. They were still throwing ordinary people into courtrooms, raw with grief after major incidents, tragedies. And they come up against police services, government departments, hiring the best QCs in the land. And those families don't have that level of legal representation. It's just, no wonder is it that we, you know, years on, we're only now getting a public inquiry into contaminated blood or greed, we've never had the truth. And actually, we won't have the full truth about Hillsborough until you know the full truth about Orgreave. It's not widely known that the police basically fabricated statements and tried to blame the miners for Orgreave, and the case collapsed at Rotherham Crown Court uh, on the first day because it was basically you know, manufactured evidence. But obviously then we saw exactly the same tactic against the Liverpool supporters four years later. And, and how do ordinary people overturn those things? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a long road and you know, justice, sadly, has not been fully, fully served for the Hillsborough families. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I wonder if, because one of the things that a, a, a sort of casual observer might say is you've actually become more left-wing since you were in government, since you were in Westminster. I wonder actually if you've, it's not quite that, it's that you've become more anti-establishment. 
I, I was actually more left-wing than New Labour. But the thing is... Why? Huh? <laughs> I know, I know. I know what? I'm, I know I'm hurting your feelings. <laughs> I'm actually hurting your feelings uh, here, Matt. Um, Hard to be more right-wing. Pardon? Hard to be more right-wing. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, but I kind of went in, and this was my kind of background, if you like, in terms of my upbringing, you know, very... Labour, Everton, sort of Catholic. I mean, it was all like you stick to, and you, you know, you stick by the team. And Tribal. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And so when I went into Parliament, I just, you know, so Labour leader, okay, you might have, but you, you back the Labour leader. And I, I think that in the end didn't, that's what I was saying, the younger me didn't come over because that's, I was quite young as an MP, 31, you know, and I was kind of just doing that so people didn't get a sense of my politics because I was just tribal. I was always out. If there was an issue, I'd go out and support the leadership. And it just took me a while to learn that actually, in the end, you know, there are things that you can't defend and you shouldn't actually. So, uh, yeah, it was a, uh, so I, I think definitely more anti-establishment, definitely. Because I've, you know, that journey of opening up Hillsborough was obviously a, a journey of discovery. When you see the full weight of the establishment and what it sometimes tries to do. But do you think nationally, Labour could win, say, from your position? If, if you were to the left of New Labour and... and perhaps maybe even more left-wing now, if you were leading the Labour Party. Ed Miliband tried it, lost. Neil Kinnock, Michael Foote. History is littered with leaders who think they can win from a, a left-wing position and, and, and can't. I mean, do you think you're the guy that could make that case, that no one has articulated it properly? How would you solve that problem? So I think... I, I mean, it's always complicated, isn't it? I mean, from my point of view, I'm economically definitely to the left of New Labour, but I was always kind of, because of my upbringing again, kind of quite, you know, small, very small C conservative, but only you know, when it comes to things like Support blues? Pardon? Support the blues? I support the blues. Um, you know, but, you know, quite patriotic in, in many ways. Not flag-waving patriotic, but, you know, very proud. Bit, ra bit racist? British, huh? <laughs> <laughs> What are you saying about our country? <laughs> no, not in the slightest. And... Um, British, not English, as what I would say. British yeah. first, definitely. So uh, you hate England? Pardon? <laughs> <laughs> what do you hate our way of life? I knew I shouldn't have come on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm kind of old school a little bit on that kind of stuff. You yeah. know? I, I loved it, actually, when Tony Blair... Here we, here we are, some common cause with you. <laughs> tough on crime, tough on the cause of crime. It was a great... I think that was a... Yeah. yeah that, I went, oh, yeah, that's... I like that. that yeah. And that was, you know, Labour speaking properly to the... To the, to the public, I think. Um, but, no, I think, I think you can. I think the world's changed. So look at what we're doing in Greater Manchester. I've taken a decision to bring buses back under public control after 35 years of deregulation. In effect, I want the system that you've got right outside this theatre, which works really well, which has been built by Labour, Tory, and now Labour mayors. Um, and that is a big example, I would say. If you look at the effects of bus deregulation across the country, it's a classic example of Margaret Thatcher was completely wrong. Because she said, she, if you go back to what she said at the time, there'll be more bus routes, the fares will come down, there'll be more passengers, the services will get better, and the complete opposite of that has happened. And pretty much no country in Europe, or indeed North America, anywhere, has completely unregulated public transport because it doesn't actually work. What you get is fair, you know, people being forced out, 
buses on nose to tail on Oxford Road on all the lucrative routes, but nothing in the in the more outlying areas. It, the market does not solve everything. The market has not solved housing. It's not given everyone in this country an affordable, safe home. Um, so I think there's a kind of an understanding of that now that the market doesn't solve everything, and different solutions might be needed. Uh, so no, I think you know. I think there's, a, there's an opening for Labour. Just as Labour rebuilt Britain after the war, Labour might re, be able be asked to rebuild Britain after the pandemic because the left have just narrowly won in Germany, uh, in Norway, Biden, of course. And I've just kind of been thinking about this. I don't know whether I'm right. I'm just going to put this thought out there. If you look back in history, the Wall Street crash of the late 20s, the global financial crisis or the credit crunch it was called originally of 2008. If you look back then and what happened after 2008, it, that financial crisis of that kind give the, the right and the far right, it's got to be said, an opportunity because then it's all, oh, blame them and they're to blame and they spent the money and they get everything. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. kind of, that type of politics quickly, the blame game, the divisive politics. And we've had a decade of that, haven't we, uh, since that uh, that cra uh, crash, and it's been around the world as well, hasn't it? And would you believe it would have led to the White, oh, sorry, the you know the Senate? What, what was it? Where they were the Capitol building? Oh, yeah. Was it in um, in Washington? So, you know, that the QAnon shaman. Yeah, well, in his, uh, yeah. Davy Crockett hat. Uh, yeah, would you? you He's an anti-establishment kind of guy. Oh, it probably sounds like my kind of uh, my kind of person. Um, but I think the pendulum might, after a really long period of quite poisonous, divisive politics, maybe the pendulum is coming back to say, do you know what? This pandemic, like the war, it's forced us to look at things through different eyes. And we realise that everyone needs good health care. Everyone needs good social care. No kid should be left at home without a laptop when, you know, when, when they're not in school. Yeah. Why were people at work carrying on at work with COVID? Because they wouldn't get paid. That doesn't work either. You know what I mean? I just think... These kind of moments make the world sort of take stock and go, hmm, I think something different is needed now. And I just have a bit of optimism that the pendulum is swinging back uh, to the left of politics and, and Labour needs to catch that wave. And that's why I do say they need to set out more of an alternative. But the risk with that, isn't it, that um, you know, after the financial crash, people thought it was going to make people more left-wing and they voted for the Conservatives. Isn't the danger in saying that the pendulum swings and then we're just sort of here to catch it, ignoring the fact that you have to actively convince the pendulum to swing? <laughs> you have to talk to the, you have to understand what the pendulum actually wants and just say, well, the, the pendulum, pendulum is the public and the public are saying, we're not, you know, we're kind of a bit fed up of this sort of, you know, divisive pit, pitting one group of people against another, one country against another. I think they are saying we want something a little, a little different here. You know, the pandemic has been brutal. I think the country's hurting at the moment. It's really bruised and damaged, I would say. Lots of people really lost a great deal uh, through this. Well, lives, obviously, relatives lost. Young people's lives completely derailed. You know, I think we're kind of sort of saying, oh, we're back to normal, isn't it great? And, but actually, there's a lot of hurt and damage there. And the country needs lifting. So I would put it to you, they're saying, where is the hope? Who's given us the hope? And Labour's traditionally been the, the sort of um, purveyor of hope to the British people, and maybe that is an opportunity. I'm only, I'm only giving you a gut feeling, really. Yeah. I'm not telling you I know for sure, but I just think that is, that is something of the mood of the times. That I think. When I went out into the streets of Manchester last year to protest at the idea 
of all of our bars, you know, our betting shops, everything else being shut, and the people working there were only going to get two-thirds of their wages. You know, there was a reason why the place was behind me, because people really were feeling they were being battered by this. And actually, what they were going through wasn't being recognised. And I think there is something there. You know, I think the, the country wants someone to really speak to the, the moment that we're in. And I, 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 you know, I, I say I really hope that, that Keir can do that. Do you think he's done it yet? Well, I think it's been difficult. You know, you come in in a pandemic. No one's ever become leader of the opposition in the middle of a pandemic before. But this is this normal politics. I've just come from Brighton is resuming, and this is this is his opportunity. And that moment you described during the pandemic. I mean, you became an internet meme. <laughs> the great photo of you being shown the statement on the phone. He's we here tonight. Well, he's more famous than me. We Kevin. should say we, we have. Yeah. Um, do people know the meme we talk about? Where it's now cut into three photos, which you being shown the phone. And then people insert a funny image, and I then know. it's you sort of going <laughs> like that. The no, man. It's, it's often Andy showing the Everton team news for. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> and it's always like, I'm always like pulling this face like. Oh. <laughs> but you're right. The other part of that double act, the man holding the phone, is uh, a, a Labour Party legend called he Kevin is. Lee. He's, he is. Right, man. He's here tonight. He's here tonight. If you want to see the man behind the meme, Kevin, give us a shout. Where are you? <laughs> he's, he's monitoring events. He's a celebrity. He's taken notes of how many things, are, how many uh, you know, things he's, I've said that he's going to have to correct when, uh, when he goes out. It'll be a long old chat. <laughs> <laughs> but when he shows you that, because I would watch that live and I thought that is just a great moment. You're watching this thing happen live where effectively the leader of the North is reacting to the Prime Minister. And isn't liking it, and it was funny, and it was like, it, you know, the, the imagery was perfect. Was any part of that planned? None. <laughs> None, because Kevin will know we had basically been trapped in negotiations for two weeks with them. And I was saying to them, I will accept tier three, but I will not accept two thirds of wages for people who are on very low wages. Because, yeah. you know, I was saying to the politicians, you can live on two thirds of your wages, but they can't. Yeah. I mean, you can't do that to us. And actually, we've been in restrictions, effectively tier two restrictions, since July. And when I spoke to them, they kind of had forgotten about that. We, got, we went into tier two in July with no financial support, nothing. And that had gone on for all those months. In September, Bolton, which is in my area, just had its hospitality closed overnight, no money. Those businesses were just shut and the staff got nothing. And so I was all of that, and I was saying, you're not doing this to us. If you're going to do it, you give people an 80% filler, like everyone else is on 80%, still off work on that. Yeah. Why, did these, why did we give them 67? You've got to do a self-employment support scheme as well. And I said, it's, and, and if you do that, we accept it, we go in willingly, because obviously, and no, none of it. When I went into work that day, I was expecting that we might be able to get something over the line. And they just were not having it. And... Um, that became apparent, and I, to be honest with you, I was worn out really when I was doing that. And it's yeah, I was just, I just kind of was not really, you know, usual rules were not applying. I was just sort of letting it all sort of like go out, and the frustration of of, of having dealt with it. And that text message, I think Kevin might still have it on his phone for those who are interested. See him at the back, and you can have a read of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it basically said because on the final call, it was Robert Jenrick. So I'd had the call with Boris. God, what have I said? Um, <laughs> I think the right thing. <laughs> I'd, I'd been on a call with Boris, and he said, "Our oh, final offer." I'll give you this. I'm doing all the prime minister impressions like, very badly. And I said, he said, "You can have sixty something, three million." Or so I can't remember. Yeah, which, 
but no more than that. And go and talk to your leaders. And if, you know, I, I think they'll agree with it. So come back to me when you've spoken to your leaders. So I know that number 10 were ringing all the individual leaders of Greater Manchester. Yeah. And I asked them, I said, look, I, I don't think we should accept this for the public. You know, this is not, this is not right. And they. And some of those Tories, those leaders? One, yeah, and God bless him, he's died, he died recently. But God bless him, the leader of Bolton Council, a Tory leader, stood with me and said, no, it's not right. I'm not going to put my name to it, I'll back you. And I, you know, I really you know, thanked him for that. So they were all with me. And um, I went, and then went back to number 10 switchboard. But the Prime Minister wants me to speak to me again because I've been to back to the leaders. And it was, oh, Mr. Jenrick will call you back. So I didn't get another you know, call. So we were meant to have a, and it was like, well, no, we're just going to impose tier three on you tonight. You're, you're, in tier, you're going into tier three. And I said, that's just fundamentally unfair. But I said, I, I take it the 60 whatever million you offered us is, is still there and we're going to get that. No, no, you didn't do the deal, it's off the table. And I said, you were seriously are joking, aren't you? And um, I just got no answer. So then, and I say, Kevin will show you the, um, the, the message. <laughs> we are in front of the Bridgewater Hall in Manchester, for those of you who know it. Great venue. Great venue. It's where? We wouldn't fill it, but still, it's a good venue. You know? <laughs> You're better off at this nice, bijou, you know, compact. <laughs> um, you bitch. We... <laughs> I was going to say, it's where Tony handed over to Gordon. It's where Gordon became leader of the Labour Party. Is it? Yeah, it's the Bridgewater Hall. It's where Harriet Harman became deputy leader. That's where the piece of Labour history. I've, I've missed some of that. Steeped in Labour history. But our little piece was we were outside. Literally, the world's media were there. I think I was and flying for an upcoming tour show, actually. I was mid-speech saying, you know, we've done, finished negotiations. We, you know, we've been, we're having it imposed. You know. And Kevin, being the diligent and fantastic person he is, had got a text message from Lucy Powell, Kevin. Yeah. So this is just approved. I'm giving you the full. You know, you're getting all the receipts here, as I say, are you? You're getting the receipts. Um, she texted Kevin to say, "I'm in a briefing for Greater Manchester MPs with Matt Hancock." Kevin, <laughs> I oh can't God. see you by the way. So, oh, he's, he's holding the text up there. Look, that's the text it? from the that's meme, the everyone. <laughs> is that's it? So cool. That's, is that what, yeah. It's like in the Tamworth Manifesto. This is in the real, room. real politics. This. And basically, if you read that text, Kevin, you read it out. Go on, I'm talking. <laughs> I'm talking too much here. Go on, you read it out. It'll be 21 million. So they were taking 40-something million off the table. So he came over to me to, yeah. to show me that because he said, he, Kevin was whispering my ear, someone's going to ask one of the media about to ask you about this. So being the kind of, as I say, you know, all-round professional that, that he is. And I just, and I was like, um, it was like, what? I can't believe they just briefed our leaders that we're going to tier three with 20 million quid. Uh, you know, when they were giving Liverpool 60-something. And, yeah. and, and that was that reaction. And, it, you know, Jacob Rees-Mogg said it was the most amazing amateur dramatics performance that we've ever seen in Manchester or something. All the but, impressions tonight. Yeah, all the impressions, all the impressions. I'll lie down while I'm saying it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, 
And that was, you know, that, but that was, that was the truth of the matter. And I was worn out, washed out, probably quite one of the lowest I've been, actually. It was a bit like the Hillsborough thing. You know, I kind of felt I'd given everything to it. Went home and just thought I'd be branded a major failure, you know, because I've just not got anything for Manchester. You know, I'd kind of not... Yeah. But it was kind of interesting. Then the support started to, to come in and, you know, the, yeah. So that's where I... You, what did you call me? The leader of the... Well, you know, <laughs> that's where this title uh, uh, came from. And what I can say, what I can announce here in London tonight is that <laughs> I'm not, at this point in time... Planning to gather everybody, put the word out to gather at Nutsford Services to march down the M6. To, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. We will walk. We'll, we'll walk if we like, Gerald. But we're not. Doing, we haven't. Pl no plans yet. But you know, just just be careful. You know, we're you know, one day, one day. I was going to say this to the end, but whenever I have guests on now, I check if there's merchandise available. Oh God. Um, about them or, or on sale. There's, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the merchandise that Andy Burnham stuff you can buy on the internet. Uh, so this is a, some of it. This is a T-shirt. Oh god! And it's in the Game of Thrones font. Which uh, is oh Jesus Christ! Andy Burnham, so like, Prime Minister. I'm going to wear that round Labour conference. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. Oh. You've got to get... Are you going to be in the hall on Wednesday for Keir's speech? Oh, that's obviously I've got my... Uh, direct, my uh... <laughs> <laughs> because then you then had a row with the Scottish government who tried to put a travel ban on Manchester. Oh, that was unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, that, I'm not kidding. So, literally, I'm there in the middle of the summer. I can't remember what it was. It was, was it late June? Early, yeah, I think late June. Yeah. And I'm there... And I'd be honest, I'd had a beer or two the night before. <laughs> Expensive German, not this. Uh... <laughs> oh, no. And I've been watching England, Scotland at home. Oh, yeah. here we go. What do you mean, here we go? Well, was that the reason? You, you were there, weren't you? I was, yeah, but were you fired up on the back of it? What? I wasn't tweeting late at night, though. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Don't, no. I wasn't doing that. But no, I'd watched the game. And I'd be watching some of the, after the game, some of these images of Leicester Square, you know, some of the, like, bloody hell, look at the state of that, you know, from the... Um, they were like, very respectful, Andy. The Tartan Army are a credit to Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> they flash their willies on public transport here just to show they're not carrying knives. They're very thoughtful. <laughs> they're very respectful guys. <laughs> and then, so it was the morning after, and I'm looking at these images, in the, you know, and then, literally, in the same sort of, Literally a tweet or two below the one with all these images is Sturgeon places travel ban on Manchester. Oh, you what? <laughs> not spat your beer out. No, never mind consultation. Not no, no, even notify us. <gasps> she stood up at a Friday press conference. Oh, we're introducing. A, we're going to do another one now. <laughs> I won't try that. I won't going to try uh, Nicola. Um, you know, just literally. Oh. And there were like people starting to email us saying, well, I've got a walking holiday booked in. You know, it was that nobody from Manchester, Salford or Bolton was able to go to Scotland. And they, my residents, were losing their holidays like that, bump. Whereas, how could, I, they weren't enforcing people from Scotland. Not, so there were people from Scotland still coming to Manchester. But it was just an unbelievable state of affairs. And I went on the Mar programme and I just said, hang on a minute, they, the SNP are doing to us everything they've complained that has been done to them by, by Westminster. Complete double standards. 
well, the balloon went up then, didn't it? it was, uh, <laughs> full of squaddies. Well, I just pointed out, I said, but you know, we were then having the discussion about it. And Nick, Nicholas Sturgeon said to me in one of the, the, the discussions, he says, well, I've looked on the, uh, your Greater Manchester Combined Authority website, and on there, there's travel advice. It says people should minimise travel in and around outside. I said, yes, but that we were forced to have that from the UK government, and we resisted a travel ban. Oh, no, this is completely inconsistent. You're accusing us, and you're doing exactly You're being completely inconsistent. And I said, oh, oh wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, hang on one minute. You put a travel ban on us the same day that you let 20,000 people travel from on the train to, to, to London. And... To say that was like a, what do you call it, a bit of a spark into the, uh, into the powder <laughs> keg, I think that would be an understatement. But then the cases started to rise through the roof in Dundee and all these, and then they were higher than us. And obviously they quietly dropped it a week, a week later, so uh, <laughs> it was an interesting experience, but you know, maybe a taste of what life would be like in a more independent UK, uh, well, sorry, independent Scotland. I mean, so when you say that about the, the travel and you say it lights the tinderbox, did, how does she then react? Does she sort of get like quiet and serious? Or <laughs> like, uh, no, uh, no. She shouted. Uh, a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> See you, you wee baba. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a bit of an issue as well, though, in terms of next week. We've got the government on... Ma so this is a year to the month after the big thing outside the Bridgewater Hall. We've got the entirety of the Conservative Party uh, coming uh, to... For their conference. To, to their conference. And I'm trying to... I just thought I'd explain this. I'm trying to move things on. Genuinely, genuinely, this isn't a sort of flippant point. This is a serious point. I am going to say to them, we feel we can define levelling up for you. Because they're struggling with that, aren't they? <laughs> aren't they? <laughs> Does anyone feel like they know what it is? No. Well, for us, I, I've got quite a simple definition of what it could mean in Greater Manchester. And it's back to that point of a London-style public transport system, crucially with London-level fares. Now, is anybody aware that if you were to catch a bus, okay, a bus, single bus ticket in Harper Hay, Greater Manchester, costs over £4. £1.55 in Harringay, London. You know, that is, that is the difference. In, in here, if you only travel around on buses every day, or, you know, using the, the London system, I think the maximum you can pay in any given day using buses is £4.65. That's, that's one bus journey in Manchester costs, costs that. And so I'm saying to the government, if you want to give people here, a mean, make levelling up real for them, give us London level, London level bus fares. And we're going to be lobbying, we're going to be lobbying them really... But that will be a constructive thing. If they say, right, we'll back you, let's, you know, that will take levelling up into more pragmatic, good, good space. So we're going to be lobbying them like mad uh, next week. We're lobbying them so hard that I'm going to put on a special Hacienda Classics night uh, at the Warehouse Project for Michael Gove, and we'll, uh, we'll, do it in his, uh, we'll do it in his honour. Aberdeen's a good night out, but I think we can beat be Aberdeen. 24-hour party people, don't forget. Oh, man. What if he takes you up on the offer? What if he calls you bluff? Well, we go, won't we? We'll, we'll go out. We'll have a few in the northern quarter. Then we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wander over to Freight Island, which is one of our new great places. Then we'll wander in the warehouse project. Can we all come? <laughs>
Sounds good, Gogger Knight. That out with Michael Gogger would be amazing. I, do you know, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm old now that I don't just play the tribal point scoring thing. I was his shadow when he was Education Secretary. It's an understatement to say, I bet, I, I couldn't agree with anything that he was doing in that era. Genuinely, I couldn't. Um, I'm a big believer in comprehensive education. Uh, you know, all kids being taught together, you know. Anyway, I, that's my belief, and he was doing the exact opposite. So we kind of clashed a lot. Um, but I had a personal sort of, you know, I've got a regard for him. Because, and this is getting controversial, I don't want to lose the whole audience here, but no, I... At least he's a proper minister. And what I mean by that is I've observed people in, when I was in government, they get to the job and they just don't do anything with it. You know what I mean? They just, yeah. to be honest, Robert Jenrick was just sort of minded. I don't know he wasn't even minded. I don't know it was, you know, but I didn't see any evidence of any real substance, if you like, you know, activity. Whereas Michael Gove at least does things. You, know, you may not agree with it, but actually makes things happen. And I think with levelling up, it's less contentious territory than the ideological sort of fights that you get in education. So I'm cautiously hopeful that I might be able to work with him on, on this. And honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. If, if Greater Manchester had London-level transport fares, it would be a total game-changer for lots of people there. It would really mean a massive improvement to their, to their, cost of, you know, their standards of living and their ability to access jobs. So we're, go we're really going to go for it next week, but we're going to try and put a big positive offer to them on the table. I think as well, sometimes it is about timing. It, you know, sometimes the time comes, uh, and the, probably the time to lobby him is just after his second line of MDMA. <laughs> when he's in a more sort of, you know. <laughs> I'm going quiet here. I'm, I'm... You disagree? Maybe after the first line. <laughs> Just double drop to be three sheets. Right, so um, if anyone in the audience would like to ask a question, we're just going to take a couple of quick ones. Um, but for the sake of the podcast, please, one sentence question and one sentence answer if that's all right, Andy. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, there's one down the front here. And what's your name? Neil. Neil. And what's your question, Neil? It's not a question. Uh oh. Did <laughs> <laughs> ask for a question? I, vote, I voted for you because it's Vivid Manchester. Oh, thank you. Um, and I'm friends with Sean Anthony. Oh, right. No, yeah. I like Sean. I asked Sean. him yeah. for a heckle, and he said, I just can't do it, you're a nice guy. Oh, <laughs> that, Sean was my um, so Tory opponent. Uh, oh, yeah, in, so uh, he, he, the, just for the benefit of the tape, um, <laughs> Neil, because when people listen back to the podcast, they say, we can't hear the, the, the questions, you see, so I'll have to repeat it. So uh, Neil is friends with Sean Anthony. He asked for a heckle Anthony. for you. Anstey. Anstey, sorry. Yeah. Um, people always get those two guys mixed. <laughs> um, and um, you asked Sean Anstey for, um, <laughs> for, a, for a heckle, and he said, I can't think of one, Andy's too nice a guy. Oh. And how long's Neil worked for you, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> the great Kevin has planted him on the front <laughs> of the, uh, the audience. No. Thank you, thank you, Neil. And pass my regards back to Sean. Yeah, fuck you, Neil. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Questions in future, mate. Don't break the rules. This is, a, this is an establishment. establishment. Right. Uh, yes, the gentleman down here. Hi. Uh, thanks, Andy. Really enjoyed your speech this evening. Um, okay. I used to work at a pub in Manchester. Oh, yes. My old, someone I used to work with, never voted for in his life. There is a question, don't worry. Hang on, there's a theme here. Yeah, a you asked him for a heckle and he said Andy's great. He, He's never, in voted <laughs> he never voted his whole life. And we watched your speak, your talk outside the hotel, and he said, which party's he? And I said, Labour. He said, I'm voting Labour now for the rest of my life. Oh, really? Um, but yeah. my question then is, 
Honestly, honestly yeah. my question is, why did they do it? Was it fiscal constraints, politics? What would be the motivation for them to do that to Manchester as any other city? So why did the Tories give you a bad deal, basically? Why yeah. did they do that the I asked the same. I just kept thinking they were going to come in and, you know, do a sensible deal. Andy, I've got a surprise for you. Please welcome to the stage, Robert Jenry! <laughs> <laughs> I hope my heart was a little bit. <laughs> Imagine! <laughs> yeah, but partly because it would have. Uh, anyway, but, um, uh, oh, thank you. That's brilliant. I mean, I, I, I love to hear that. And it's this thing about being liberated, you know, in terms of what you're doing. I knew I was speaking for the people of the city when I was doing that. So I, you just get strength from that. You know, sometimes in Westminster, where you're kind of half doing it because, oh, the Shadow Chancellor wants it. I just wasn't doing that. And yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, the fact that it helped people in a really difficult moment, which I think it did, you know, people were feeling pretty, pretty browbeaten at that particular moment in time, and I think it galvanised the place a little bit. So, thank you. What a great anecdote. Okay, we've had uh, two questions from men, so it'd be nice if there's a... Yes, the lady down there. Hello. Um, hi, Andy. Hi, Great question. Yeah, very good so question. So, Labour should set out its stall. What are the key issues? What's on the stall? So, well, social care I mentioned. So that's an obvious one. Social care on NHS terms. I think that would be a great thing for them to, to commit to. They have set out something of a stall about work and insecure work earlier this week, which is good. I think that's re really positive. Um, what I would do is, if I were them, is go way beyond the Conservatives on levelling up. If levelling up is the theme of our days, what are we going to do to completely make this a more equal a more equal country than it is. And it's not about dragging down London, honestly. It, I know people might think that I'm, you know, not so keen. I, I love London. I mean, I do, you know. Some I, of your best friends are London. Some of my best friends are London. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the place is, if you look at the map of COVID, I mean, honestly, I'm being serious, you know, the, the, the levels of cases, the death rate from COVID, it's the same places that will, would have been hit in the 20th century, the 19th century. You know, this map of poverty of our country, you know, it, it goes back a long, long way. And these places have needed levelling up for a long, long, long time. And I would say, you know, commit wholeheartedly to true levelling up. And that, if you're going to do it, I personally think it needs, Britain needs complete the complete rewiring of Britain, basically, because you need full devolution to the English regions. It's working, but we need more of it. You've got to turn the House of Lords into a Senate of the nations and regions, so every area has a fair, equal voice in Parliament. You know, it's outrageous in this century that we still have an unelected house of the great and good making your laws and mine. It's just unbelievable. You know, and people who generally live within the M25, you know, it's our Parliament just is concentrated in, in that area. And I personally have come round now to uh, proportional representation for the Commons because I think if you had MPs elected on a more regional basis, I think they would articulate more for their region rather than the kind of hyper-local thing that they do with their constituencies. And I would actually free them from the tyranny of the whip. Let MPs work across party lines sometimes. Let the Northern MPs work as a caucus sometimes, you know, of all parties. To, to level that, that I think, 
is proper leveling up because otherwise it'll be a few short term a few pots of money and then it'll dry up and it'll go away i think leveling up should be the right theme of our times really what given what we've seen during the pandemic uh, and yeah, that's, lot, that's more than one sentence there. <laughs> so that's something I, I feel now quite passionate about. Do you worry that if, let's say one day you're leader of the Labour Party and you're facing a general election, that you spent all these years as Mayor of Manchester saying North versus South, and then you'll have to say to people in London, vote for me, you know? Even I just told you I love London, I, and you, uh, you made a joke, but I write a column for the London Evening Standard, I will have you, uh, I will have you know. Oh, really? I do. Obviously, it's made a big impact down here. <laughs> <laughs> I do. And, and what is it, a sort of uh, sideways look at the news? What is the... It's, it's an attempt to get kind of the South Pole of London working with the North Pole of Manchester, because actually, I've come to the view, we're not... Gonna, if everyone here thinks... Uh, well, there's that as well, we can work on... But if everyone here thinks they're coming after us and you know, they're going to march down the M6 and all of that, yeah. like I said before... Yeah, joking. Yeah. If, you know, if that's you keep happy, saying it though, it's crazy. I keep saying it, you know. It's like I'll put this. Kevin will put the signal out one day, you know. That's when they'll know it's Nutsford services at nine o'clock. We're coming. You know. um, I don't think it's gonna. Yeah, you know, we're gonna need to work a little more, aren't we? That you know, the, the cities have got a lot in common, haven't they? So let let's not let this. You know, I, I'm often. You know, when I say things that you know, wouldn't happen to London, it's not because I'm attacking London. I'm just saying you're treating us differently to how London gets treated. And it's, it's legitimate for me to say that. Yeah. But the, and that tier three thing, London went into tier two, I think three days after we were had tier three imposed on us and immediately got a financial deal. It, and honestly, immediately. Yeah. And we've been in tier two since July and they hadn't given us anything. And I just, if you wanted proof that there's a, you know, a bias in this country, I think you, you've got your proof right there. But there, you know, some parts of London are the most impoverished parts of the country. It's still a city riven within opportunity. You know, different levels of opportunity. It, true, it is. Um, but I just think there's more the more ability to access opportunity here. As I say, just to go back to that issue of transport. You've got an op much. You can travel much more cheaply, much more widely to access the jobs that are there. And I'm not saying for a second that there's not real poverty in London. There is real poverty in London. Of course, there is. But I, I just think you know, there is more chance here to take, get yourself out of that uh, situation than there is in large parts of the north. Just on buses, one of the big issues is you wait for one for ages and then three come along at once. Um, <laughs> do you have any plans to sort of space them out a bit? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, was, what was your name, by the way? The great question about the stall. Uh, Sarah. Sarah. Well, if Andy Burnham did have a stall... Perhaps he would sell an I Love Andy Burnham mug. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which where, is, did you, where did you buy this stuff from? Um, you say buy, the, the, the right word might be create. Create. No, no, no. I got it on Amazon Prime, so you see. So the market does work, Andy. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> that's your mug if you would like it. Oh, there you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but, Neil... Neil, I was rude to you. <laughs> and I think you do love Andy. And I think you would like a T-shirt. Uh, hang on a second. <laughs> this is also available on Amazon oh Prime. Lord. 15 quid, that, mate. Fruit of the loop. <laughs> there you go, Neil. Neil. No one leaves empty-handed. There you go, mate.
stuff like that. How does it make you feel? <laughs> Odd. <laughs> I don't know. Is it? Yeah, it's very strange. Well, I hope you enjoy the T-shirt. Uh, Andy, uh, uh, it's, yeah. it's been a real pleasure. The last thing I need to ask you, uh, before I forget, is Angela Rayner described the Tories as misogynist, racist, homophobic scum. Was she right or wrong to say that? Uh, I, I wouldn't have used that type of language. If I, if too, I'm too soft? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, He's a fucking moment! <laughs> yeah. I try not to lapse into that, you know, my, uh, my match, my match-going mode when I'm uh, in Manchester, of course. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I said to you before, I am quite old school. I do believe in sort of standards, if you know what I mean, and certain ways of doing things. And I'm not saying, it's far be it from me, though, to say, oh, one politician chooses to say, well, you know, every, politicians have to choose their own way, don't they, of, of making their point. And people probably will have different views about it. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't, is, is what I'd say. And I don't think it helps, actually, for politics to kind of get down to that kind of, kind of level. Well, we uh, think we've raised the tone tonight with... I hope so. I, uh, <laughs> not with a beer, but with, with other things. <laughs> <laughs> this has been an absolute treat. Thank it you so has. much for doing yeah. it, Andy. Yeah. Uh, before uh, we go tonight, please, a round of applause for everyone who works at the Duchess and everyone on Light and Sound. <laughs> Thank you for being such a wonderful audience. But please, a huge political party thank you to the one and only, the leader of the North, Andy Burnham. Thank you. Well, there you go, Andy Burnham, an instant classic of an episode. It had everything. Laughs, analysis, politics, and some very, very heartfelt moments. But what a treat. What a treat to be back. He was a fantastic guest. It was a joy to record. I'm sure that came across. I hope you enjoyed it. Email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, get your tickets for all those future shows, including the next one with the amazing Penny Morden, a week on Monday, the 11th of October, at the Duchess Theatre in London's glittering West End. All tickets available at mattford.com slash live. I'll see you soon. Thank you for downloading. Yes, and uh, finally... Do, show, do tell everyone about it. Spread the word. And if you come to the shows, tell everyone else about it. Um, and and uh, leave a review on iTunes uh, because that helps other people find the show. It helps get the show up the charts. So that is the hard sell over. But hopefully I will see you at the Duchess Theatre soon. ta -ra. 